1 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning, if you want to turn there. But before we jump into the sermon, I just want to mention, as Adria has already prayed for us, uh, prayed for um, all, the, all the people that have been impacted by Hurricane Ian, I just want to mention each time there's a disaster like that in our country, one of the places, one of the organizations that we highlight is the International Disaster Emergency Services Organization. It's IDES.org is their um, website is their URL, IDES.org. You could go and check that out right now if you want to, but they have already, they have information in there and how you can donate and how you can help. And so we just always wanna, it's a wonderful nonprofit Christian organization where 100% of all donations go to disaster emergency relief. So I just wanna let you know that, that that is there. I know some of you have family and friends that have experienced very directly what's, what's going on down in Florida. I've seen uh, a lot of pictures, I've had some friends and family, myself, that, that have been down there and through that. And so I just wanna let you know that there is a way that we can kind of help people through some of these things. One of the important lessons to be learned in marriage is that no matter how wonderful your spouse is, how perfect, incredible they are, they will have shortcomings. It's, it's true. Now, my, my wife, Renee, she's not in here this morning, and, and that, that works out pretty well, maybe, for, for me. Um, she's, she's serving in Velocity Kids this morning teaching. But one of the things that we have learned is that, you know, sometimes we need to supplement one another's weaknesses with our strengths. Now, thankfully, Renee is a very strong, strong person because uh, maybe she has to supplement my weaknesses a little bit more, more often. And that can be a really beautiful thing. Renee and I put this into practice every single time I am looking for something. I, I, maybe some people can, can relate to this. Now, I'm a really good finder. I'm great at finding because once I've found something, I know exactly where it is. And it's always in the last place I look. I don't know if you've ever, ever come across that when you're, when you're looking for something. But I'm not a great looker. Renee thinks I'm all right. No? Nobody went with that one. Okay, that's fine. I was thinking I would get maybe a little bit more comments on that. Renee thinks I'm okay, but I'm not great at looking for things. I can be looking right at a shelf for something, and some of you, some of you guys can relate to this. I can be looking right at a shelf for something, know that it's there, and still not see it. And so I ask Renee, hey, where's the thing? And she'll come along and she'll say, it's right there in front of you. How can you not see that? And I, I, don't, I don't know. Intellectually, I know this is a thing that happens, and yet I still have a hard time seeing, seeing things. It's uncanny. Um, there's a name for it. It's called male pattern blindness. I don't know if you've, you've heard of that before, but it's a real thing. And if you, tough, if you too suffer from this, fellas, this is a safe place for you. No perfect people allowed. It's not just a man problem, though. I've noticed it also afflicts children. Boys and girls, it's, it's a thing that happens. Hey, go do the thing, go find the thing. Oh, I don't know what to do. Well, you haven't gotten up and done anything yet. So of course you're not going to see it if, if you don't move and if you don't look. It's just, just one of these things. And there's, there's different hypotheses for why this is the case, you know, with, with male pattern blindness that men and women, you know, our brains are wired differently. And so that's fine. We understand that. Or maybe it's the, maybe it's the hunter gatherer thing. I mean, for some reason, there's got to be a reason why I can see a buck moving at a hundred yards and pick that out just fine. But I can't see the ketchup staring right in front of me in the, in the fridge drawer. I mean, there's some, something about that. Could be a number of different reasons, but I think the ones that I find most compelling is that we have a hard time finding things when, um, when we do these three things. 
These may seem really simple, but you'll, you'll get why I'm headed this direction here in just a few minutes. We find, have a hard time finding thing, uh, things when we misplace them. I mean, I, I, I do this all the time where I'm thinking, I'm just going to put my keys right here for right now in the meantime because I'm going to come right back. I know where they are. I'm going to grab them and I'm going to go. And inevitably, I get distracted by something else. Something, something else comes up and I just can't, I can't find them anywhere. It's either that or I just don't, I just don't know where things are put. I, I mean, sometimes... Groceries are come back, and Renee and the kids, they'll, they'll put them away. I'm somewhere else. I'm not home, wh- whatever it is, and I just, don't, I just don't know where the things are. So sometimes it's just because I don't engage with them regularly. I don't always use vinegar, and so when I go looking for it, I, I don't know where it is. So I have to ask and say, hey, where, where are those things? I'm just not used to seeing them. And sometimes I'm just distracted. A lot of times when I'm looking for my keys, I know that I'm going to be late, and so I'm worried about being late, and I'm thinking about all the dominoes that are going to fall because of that, and so instead of actually focused on the keys, I'm more focused on what's going to happen because I can't find the keys, and so I'm not really engaged with the task at hand. I'm so consumed by what I'm worried about, the next thing, that I don't actually focus on the task at hand. And the same principles apply even when we're looking for things a little bit deeper than where we place our keys or looking for ketchup in the fridge. Our search for meaning, for purpose, for love, for affirmation, direction are all things that can be found, but much of our finding has to do with our attitude and perspective and our willingness to take responsibility and put in the work to do the things to find, to find them. And as we go through the theology of our mission statement, and we're doing this word for word, we're looking at what, what it means to help people find Jesus and love God, we come to the find part. And, and if you picked up on the fact that this is what we're doing throughout the sermon series, you might have looked ahead and thought, well, find, I mean, that, you know, how much theological weight and significance does that word actually have? Maybe it doesn't seem like it carries the same theological weight as words like Jesus or love or God, but it's actually the key to our choice in engaging with God's desire for us to be with him. Because the process that we exercise to find Jesus is faith. And as Christians, Jesus being found in our lives is as a result of us practicing and living out faith. And faith isn't limited to the purview of religious practice. It's something that everyone practices every day. It's something that we're very familiar with, even if we don't call that out and recognize it directly and call it faith in our lives. Yes, in different measures of significance, I'm exercising faith every time that I go to the fridge and I'm going to look for the ketchup because I'm just assuming that it's gonna be there every time. And just because it isn't there, it's A, either I can't see it and it's staring right in front of me, or sometimes it really just isn't there. And it doesn't mean that ketchup just has stopped existing in the world. It just means that maybe it hasn't been bought and replaced from the store yet. And so then one of us in the family has to do the work of doing that to to make the ketchup be back where it was supposed to be in the first place. Um, I'm exercising faith when I, when I go look for ketchup, I'm also exercising faith that godly love exists among God's people and even beyond, but sometimes I don't find it where otherwise I should reasonably expect it to be found, but that doesn't mean that godly love doesn't exist. But maybe, maybe I've misplaced my trust in where I expected it from, or maybe I'm not engaging regularly with those who share it, or perhaps I'm so distracted by other circumstances in life that I fail to recognize it when it is presented to me. So whether people think about it regularly or not acknowledge it at all, faith is what we exercise every time we move toward something we are searching for because we expect to find it. We expect that it exists because we've observed the world around us. We've seen it in other people. We've felt it at some point in the past before and we expect it to be there. 
And the one faith that has proven to be transcendent and inclusive across the whole of human experience and existence while also being observable and grounded in reality to how we are wired is faith in Jesus. And yet it will always require faith to be found and faith to live in in the face of our ability to sustain it within ourselves because we lose what we don't use and we simply aren't wise enough on our own even when faced with incontrovertible evidence that we don't get things right in life. We're always gonna need faith. In as much as sometimes we wanna search for things that make faith not required, like everything's perfectly described for us, everything in our life goes perfectly well to prove to us that God exists. Even in those moments when things are going exactly how they're supposed to be, uh, supposed to be we, don't always, we don't always get it right. And Paul calls, us, calls this out in us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul takes on the two things that we often want as proof that takes us off the hook for pursuing faith in our lives. One, we want God to prove himself to us through miracles. All right, God, if you do this one thing in my life or you make this thing happen, I mean, how many, I, I mean, I know I've made deals with God before. I'm willing to, to admit that. And how many times do we follow through with the deals that we make with him? We demand signs. Or two, we want answers to all of our questions. And, and an answer really isn't quite good enough if we're honest most of the time. We don't just want an answer. We want the answer that we want. And God, knowing this about us, centers the focus of our faith not on those things, not, not on, on signs and not, not on answers, although he does give us those things. He doesn't center them on those things. He centers the focus of our faith on the resurrection of Jesus. Because while Jesus provides the signs and the wisdom too, ultimately God wants us to see the body of evidence, to see his grace and his truth in action and choose it for ourselves as a fulfillment of our desire to be with him because that's ultimately what we're searching for. And so faith is the trust, the hope, and confidence that however God decides to approach things or to lead us, the best choice that we can make in those moments is to follow. Ultimately, that we, we've got to make the decision on what our life is guided, guided by. Either it's gonna be us or it's gonna be him. One takes on the weight of the world, the other hands over the weight of the world. And I know that sometimes faith maybe doesn't get a great reputation for not being reasonable or grounded in reality. And it's often because our wisdom doesn't match up with God's wisdom, but sometimes it's just because Christians aren't, aren't as consistent as they should be when it comes to living out our faith. And this happens when we allow our faith to be directed by other things, things like politics, things like social issues or economics or entertainment or our personal identity, rather than having all of that the other way around where our faith is what is supposed to be directing us in all of those things. This is also, though, why we need faith. 
It's the one thing that can overcome our shortcomings. It's the one thing that can draw humanity together, together to give us a foundation on something that's more than just ourselves, to give us something that's bigger than just us to live for. It draws us together in a meaningful and productive and loving way. And so faithfulness to becoming more like Jesus is the precise, reasonable solution grounded in reality that because of our sin and its gross limitation on our ability to produce any lasting goodness, we need something greater and bigger than ourselves to make that happen in our lives and in our communities. And that comes from God. We've all been caught up in the temptation to pursue power, position, and wealth to satisfy our insatiable appetites, and yet God completely undercuts all of those things through sacrificial love and offers it to the undeserving, and the transformation that it brings displays his power that conveys his glory in a way that nothing else can in our lives. So Paul, as he writes to the Corinthians, he points to the evidence of faith bearing transcendent fruit fruit in our lives. He says, for consider your own calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Faith in God simply asks us to take a step back to take stock of the world around us, observe how it operates, consider the explanations provided by humanity, and recognize why there are so many different good ideas and compelling observations. They all eventually fall short because they remain inconsistent without the complete picture. Humanity continues to search for God. They, humanity continues to look for novelty or excess or distraction to fill the void, and yet none of it works. And so the solution is this ancient truth that you and I know where to find, and it is within the redemptive work and life of Christ. If I could, if I could think of, a, of an anthem for the global exercise of, of faith in our world, I think, I, would, I think it would be U2's, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. You, most of you have probably heard that song. You know what it is. You can, like, you can still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, you know, you could just like hear that. Like we could all just start singing that together, like just acapella, and that would be amazing and we'd have this feeling. And yet, and yet I think it's an appropriate global anthem because it, it, deals, it deals with faith and it deals with eternal significance and searching for that. But, and, and this is Bono's words, not, not, not mine, but, but the main point is that, man, how, how can we really know? Like it's really, it's really an anthem about doubt. And that seems to be, have become the most popular path forward for most people. In our world. Let's, let's, not even, let's not even include the world. Let's just talk about our culture. It, is that really that has become the most popular path forward for, for most people. It's like, yeah, but, you know, can we, can we really know? Can we, can, we really, um, can, can we really, I don't know, do anything but have this doubtful, doubtful path forward with, with everything. I mean, not, not just faith, but with just about anything in, in, our, in our world. And there are plenty of times when we're going to experience moments of doubt. There are plenty of times that I experience doubt, and it's going to be a natural thing. But the more negative and isolated and fearful and self-absorbed that we become in our doubt, the more that we choose that as a foundation of life than faith. 
And, and I, can pre, I can appreciate how there are moments we've been burned and things that haven't, haven't gone the way that we've wanted to. Even within, if, even within Christianity, we've had those moments that have caused us to doubt. There's no reason to let us, uh, to let what is wrong with the world dictate how we live our lives versus what is right with the world. And so we can choose doubt and we can choose restless searching, which is what many do these days, or we can choose faith and peaceful living. This is, this is how our faith finds its surest footing, trusting in the simplicity of the gospel to solve our most complex needs. When we look for God at work, we're going to see it if we move forward in faith rather than in doubt. Paul says in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the, wisdom, the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I can relate to Paul there. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Listen, anything good that I might have to have to offer in my life, it doesn't come from deep within me. It's not intrinsically the value that I possess and can give to other people because of how amazing I am. Any potential beneficial wisdom that might come from my mouth doesn't originate from within me. If, if anything good comes from anything that I say or that do, that is the work of the Holy Spirit with, within me. I can't take credit for those things, and none of it is the result of the effectiveness of my effort, but on the power of God to transform our weaknesses into strength, to exchange our mourning for joy, pain for purpose, failure into completeness. Listen, if, if I could control my life and everything that happens in it, then maybe I would think a little bit differently. But, but I've tried to do that way too many times, and I've seen plenty of other people do it way too, try to do it way too many times, and it has never worked for anybody. And so there's, there's got to be a different way for us to approach and think about life, and faith is it. I can absolutely relate to struggling with faith and feeling the weight of what seems like God's absence in times in my life where I'm looking like, God, where are you in this? Why haven't you shown up? Why haven't you done this thing that I've asked you to do? And I have, and I imagine it will continue to do so. I'll continue to feel that. But faith isn't the absence of doubt. It is the choice to not let doubt rule us. Because what I've discovered time and time again is God isn't the one who's lost. And he's not the one who, who's walked away. He's not the one who's hidden himself. He's not the one who's absent. Those times, time and time again, have always been on me. Where I've misplaced Jesus. Where I haven't engaged with him regularly. Or maybe I'm distracted from following him in other areas of my life. Every time I correct those issues, I find Jesus, and I'm reminded once again that faith in myself and the systems of the world around me always leave me feeling lost, but when I place my faith in God, I'm always found. And that's what, that's what faith does, is it, is it moves us from finding and looking and seeking and searching and doubting, and it moves us to being found. And so I, I just want to share, I just want to share a couple things just over the next couple minutes that where Jesus just himself says, hey, here, here's where you can find me. These are the places, if you're looking, this is, this is where you can find where I am. And so if you find yourself in that place where, you, you know, you've, missed, you've misplaced your faith or maybe you've been distracted by it or maybe you just haven't been engaging with it regularly, this is, this is what Jesus says. Here are the habits that we develop. Here are, the, here are the solutions. So here's where Jesus says he will be. So don't make him harder to find than he really is. 
The first is this. is Jesus says, I'm going to be about my father's business. Whatever God says to do, those are the things I'm going to be doing. And so that's where you're going to find me. This happens early on in his childhood. This is when, Luke, when um, Jesus is 12 and Luke chapter 2, verses 48 and 49. When his parents saw him, they've been looking for him all over the place. They find Jesus. They're astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Man, can you imagine that? Like, as, as Jesus' parent, like, that's when you want to smack him upside the face, right? I mean, that's, can you say that? I don't know if you can say that. Um, but that's, as a parent, you know, you'd be like, don't backtalk me, boy. We've been searching for you. In, it's all right. It's, it's okay. Like, those are legitimate feelings as a parent. Uh, we've been searching for you in great, great just, why? Why, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know where I would be? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house doing what God has called me to, to be? I mean, that, that's, that's where you can find it. Jesus, I'm looking all over for you. I just can't happen. I, I just can't find you. Where are you? Well, I'm, I'm doing what my father has told me to do. That's where he is. He's, he's about his father's business. He's doing, he's doing his, well, how do we find that, what that is? Well, God's word. And so th- this is why one of the habits that we have to develop in spiritual development, spiritual discipline in our life is, is reading scripture, knowing what God's word says and living it out. And so many times when we're desperately searching for Jesus, I mean, sometimes I think he's just kind of standing there like, I'm, I'm right here where I said I would be. And I mean, I, I get that like you're caught up in all these things over here and, and doing these things and you have your responsibilities and you have all these things that are, that are happening in your life and that's great, that's fine. But but I am, I'm, I'm still here, right here, where I, I said I would be. I'm about my father's business. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And so don't know and do God's word. Don't misplace your effort. The second thing uh, where Jesus says he's going to be is where his disciples are gathered. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among, there am I among them. And so, Jesus, where, where, where are you? I can't, I can't find you. Well, are you among his people? Are you among fellow disciples of, G- of Jesus? Do you meet with them regularly? Are you encouraged by them? Are you living out faith together? Engaging with fellow believers regularly is, is how we don't misplace Jesus, how we, how we find him, how we are engaged with who he is and, where, and, and what he is doing. And, and just the third thing is... Um, and Jesus is where he says well, he, he will be because he's there for our needs. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. My first response to a need in my life isn't always to look to Jesus. I'm just being honest. I mean, sometimes it is to look to other people. Sometimes it's to try to correct a circumstance or maybe it's to buy a tool or whatever the thing is. I mean, it, my first response isn't always to say, all right, God, what, what do I need in this moment? And, and what are you, what are you, have you already, prom- you've already promised good for me in this moment. And so am I even looking for that? Am I even pursuing that? Because that's exactly where Jesus says he will be. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open for you to you. And so part of it is just not being distracted by the wants and the circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in, but to focus in and be honest about our motivations and be honest about what we need in that moment and how God has promised to provide those things. When I compare anything and everything else I see and have found in this world, the only thing that remotely comes close to providing any kind of hope 
And what I'm searching for and looking for is Jesus. Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and it's being convinced of what we do not see. And so may we live faithfully convinced that God continues to make hope worth it and that we will find that he does when, when we don't misplace Jesus and when we engage with him regularly and when we're not distracted from who God calls us to be as faithful disciples of his. Let's pray. God, as we center our lives on believing that you are who you say you are, that you will do what you say you do, God, we just, we, we ask for wisdom that transcends our own experience. Wisdom that helps us to see what you're up to and what you're doing and what you've already done, how you've been moving in our lives, how you've blessed us, how you've encouraged us, how you've not only sent Jesus, but you, you sent our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to, to encourage us and to help us along the way. God, help us to, to be faithful believers that we are about your business, that we are going to be where you say, say you are so that we can experience you, so that we can see the faith that builds the hope and trust and confidence that you are who you say you are, that you will do what you say you do. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.